study this morning of how to be a first responder to the gospel, of how we can respond to the good news found in Scripture alone, that sinners like you and me, who would otherwise be hopelessly condemned and beneath God's wrath because of our sins, can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And I hope all of you have caught a sense of how essential and how important this study is. The very fact that uh, we are able to open up the Bible this morning and even in summary study what the gospel is and how we ought to respond to it rightly for the glory of God is absolutely huge. Paul says in Colossians 1.26 that this gospel, this good news of hope in Christ, is a glorious mystery that God had hidden from past ages and generations, but now has revealed to us his saints. Just think about that for a moment this morning. For 4,000 years nearly, no one ever knew who the Savior would be, when he would come, or even fully what he would accomplish the depth of his sufferings, the height of his victory, the full breadth of his conquest. And now, this morning, here we are with the gospel on full display as a church. Our Savior is Jesus. We know him by name. He came and he revealed himself to us through his perfect work accomplished on the cross. He has absorbed God's wrath. He has paid the penalty for man's sin. He has secured an eternal redemption and forgiveness for all those who call on him in faith. And through the preaching of the cross, he has called us out and he has called us together to this place to worship him and live for his glory. How awesome is that? We have good news. We have the gospel. And now, as those who are born again and redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, or through faith in Jesus Christ, our great pleasure and purpose in life is to live for the glory and honor of God, our great Savior. This is where the gospel compels us, and it compels us to the glory of God alone. This reality is described in one of the most important passages concerning the gospel of our salvation. It's a passage that I mentioned at least four times in the opening six lessons of our study. That passage was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, this salvation, this grace, this faith, is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In those verses, we have an excellent summary of what is true, genuine, biblical salvation. Salvation is by grace, through faith, unto good works. That is very important. If you lose any element of that, You have lost biblical gospel. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. Salvation is unto good works for His glory. And so the question for us is this. 
having been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, what are some of those good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them for his glory? That is what we've been studying together as a church. According to the example of the early church recorded in Acts chapter 2, once we respond in faith to the good news of Jesus Christ, once we believe, how do we begin to live our lives then for the glory and honor of God? Well, Scripture makes it clear that once we believe, we are to be baptized into the local church. We are to believe, be baptized, and be added. This is how believers are to be first responders to the gospel. They are to believe. They are to be baptized. And they are to be added to the local church. Now, that's not saying that someone who has not been baptized or has not joined a church, is not saved. I made that very clear in the opening six lessons of our study. If that was the case, how could the thief on the cross go into paradise, as Jesus had promised? What I am saying, though, is that if someone has not been baptized or joined a church after they have trusted in Jesus Christ, they are not responding to the gospel rightly for the glory of God. By failing to walk in obedience to the glory of God in this way, they are failing to walk in a manner that is worthy of their calling. They're failing to reflect the worth, the value, and the importance of God through their words, their thoughts, and their actions. The definition of worship. How do you show how worthy God is now that you've come to know him by faith in Jesus Christ? Scripture lays out some very concrete ways you can do that. And you ought to do that. Ephesians 3.21 says God is to be glorified in the church. And so if you find yourself in this position this morning or of professing faith in Jesus Christ and yet kind of at this moment hanging around on the fringes of, of Christian fellowship, I want to encourage you this morning as a pastor of this church, come further up and come further in to borrow C.S. Lewis's words. Acts 2.41-42 God tells all of us how to begin that great journey of worship through the gospel. It is by believing, it is by being baptized and being added to the church. These are good works God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Well, having looked at those first three responses, we have one more from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42 to consider that more, this morning, and that is to be devoted. Be devoted. Believe, be baptized, be added, and be devoted. Acts 2, 41 through 42 says this. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. There we see that there were some particulars that the early church devoted themselves to. Particulars that set them apart from the rest of the world and that made them a church, truly a church. That's what we're going to study today from the pages of Scripture. We're going to see that once a child of God has believed and been baptized into a local church, he is to devote himself together with the rest of the body of Christ to three avenues or means or foundations of strengthening grace for the glory of God. Those three foundations of grace are the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace. You could almost say, having examined now how you enter into the church, now this morning we begin to study what a church actually looks like. What does the life of a church look like? First, we are to be devoted to the word of grace together. They devoted themselves, Scripture says, to the apostles' teaching. 
Second, we are to be devoted to the throne of grace together. Scripture says they devoted themselves to the prayers. And third, we are to be devoted to the fellowship of grace together as believers. Scripture says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So these are the three essential activities. These are the particulars that make a church a church. These are the three primary foundational ways that believers begin to live lives for the glory of God in the midst of the community of believers. Through the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace. But before we begin and dive in and take a look at each one of these, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading, teaching, and receiving of his word today, who is good, and who does good by teaching us his statutes. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it is laid open for us here in this place. We thank you, Father, that uh, for many of us you have given us your spirit so that we can understand the things that are freely given to us from you. Father, we thank you for your grace that you have given us in Jesus Christ, the new life that you have imparted to us. Father, we thank you that we are not... Uh, like blind men trying to understand how to live this life for your honor and glory, but that you have given us your truth so that we can respond to you rightly. Father, I pray that this morning you would honor and glorify yourself in the hearts and minds of your people. As we understand, Father, what a church ought to be and what it ought to look like, I pray, Father, that you would plant in the hearts and minds of every person here a great desire to see this church I magnify you through these three foundations of grace. Father, we understand that there are many things that we could do here at Grace Chapel. But there are only a few things that we better be doing. And we better be doing well for your honor and for your glory. And so, Father, remind us of the most important things. Remind us of what makes us a church. And help us to be devoted to these essential activities among this fellowship for your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace are three essential activities or particulars that make a church a church. Now, some people might get a little uncomfortable when a pastor starts talking that way, that God has specific particular expectations that he desires his children to fulfill. Particulars like, as we've seen for the last couple of weeks, be baptized, be added, be devoted to a local church. But I want you to know two things. First, this is all about giving God glory and exalting Him. And second, this is exactly how God has worked throughout redemptive history whenever He has called a people to Himself. Whenever God has called a people of His own possession, He always gives His people a a particular set of actions to follow in order to show the world that they indeed belong to Him. So I want you to think through this a little bit before we even dive in this morning. Think of Abraham, first of all. After God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans to himself, out of all the families of the earth in Genesis chapter 12, and after God established through covenant an unending relationship with him in Genesis 15, God then tells Abraham in Genesis 17, 1 through 2, I am God Almighty, therefore walk before me and be blameless. Verse 13, be circumcised, so shall my covenant be in your flesh. 
Then Genesis 18, verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So in other words, because Abraham and his family now had a special relationship with God and represented God to the outside world, God had some particulars for Abraham and his family to follow. Particulars like being circumcised, living righteously and justly. These particulars glorified God by showing the world that Abraham and his family belonged to him. Fast forward then to the nation of Israel. After God calls Israel out of Egypt to himself, out of all the nations of the earth, God brings his people through the wilderness to the foot of Mount Sinai and says to them in Exodus 19, 4 through 6, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, now that I've done that, now that you've been redeemed and have a relationship with me, obey my voice. Keep my covenant. 20 verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And he goes right on through the first ten commandments. In other words, because Israel now had a special relationship with God, and because they now represented God to the outside world, God had some particulars for Israel to follow, like their sacrificial, ceremonial, dietary, moral laws. These particulars glorified God by showing the world that Israel belonged to him. So then when we come to the church, it shouldn't surprise us to see the exact same thing. After God calls his people out of the world to himself, out of all the peoples of the earth, he tells us in Titus 2.14, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And it is by these good works, Jesus says, that we are to let our light shine before men so that others may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. In other words, now that we have a special relationship with God and represent God to the outside world, God, just like he has for all of redemptive history, he has some particulars for us to follow as his children, like be baptized, be added, be devoted to the local church. These particulars glorify God by showing the world that we belong to him. And that really is the case. How do those in the outside world right now know that what's going on right here in our body right now, how do they recognize that this is a church? They know we're a church because we are a group of believing, baptized individuals who have devoted themselves together to regularly pursuing the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace together as joint members of a body. That's how they know that this is a church and not just a country club. This is what makes a church a church. We're characterized by grace. We're people saved by grace, standing in God's grace, and being strengthened by God's grace. That's why we're called Grace Chapel. (laughs) We're called to be a place of grace where our community can hear of God's saving grace and where God's children can be strengthened by his grace when they come together here in this place. 2 Peter 3.18 says that we ought to grow with a growth, or we ought to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Now we ought to, it's Colossians 2.19 says, grow with the growth that is from God. So how do we do that? It is by devoting ourselves to these three foundations of grace that we're about to look at. These three particular activities that show the world that we are a church, the body of Christ. So let's look at them, shall we? If we want to be first responders to the gospel for the glory of God, we must believe. We must be baptized. We must be added to the local church. And then we must become devoted. We must be devoted. First, be devoted to the word of grace together. Be devoted to the word of grace together. Acts 2.42 tells us that after those 3,000 souls believed and were baptized and were added to the local church there in Jerusalem, they then, according to verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, you might be asking yourself this morning, okay, well, what are the apostles' teaching? In short, it's the Bible, okay? It's the Bible. Obviously, the New Testament wasn't written at this point, but if you're wondering what the apostles taught, read the New Testament. Every single book of the New Testament was either written by an apostle of Jesus Christ or by someone who directly ministered alongside one of those apostles, And not only that, but the Old Testament was part of the apostles' teaching as well. If you remember, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's very first sermon, he connected how the Old Testament was being fulfilled by the person and the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. So the apostles' teaching here in Acts chapter 2 is another way of saying, preaching Christ by teaching through both the Old and the New Testaments. And the early church, it says here in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to this, both individually and together, as verse 44 indicates. All who believed were together. They devoted themselves to the Scriptures, to the Word of God. And we, as members of this church, here in this place, must do so as well. The foundation of the early church is to be the foundation of every church and ours as well. Because the church of the living God is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, therefore we must follow the admonition that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, where Paul said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Devote yourself to it. Be committed to it. Why? Because we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, and this is a word of grace. I want you to turn this morning to Acts 20.32. Acts 20.32. I want you to see how the Bible is described here. Very important verse. Acts 20.32. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is exhorting the Ephesian elders to fulfill their ministry among the body of Christ. He's reminding them how he strove to teach them the whole counsel of God and how after he leaves, Satan is going to attempt to corrupt the church both from outside and from within. And so Paul says in Acts 20.32, he says, Now I commend you to God, and listen to this, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So look at how God's word is described there. It's described as the word of what? Grace. Not merely teaching us about God's saving grace, 
but actually imparting to us God's strengthening grace. Paul says here it builds us up. God's Word causes us to grow and mature. God's Word causes us to be spiritually strengthened and secured. 1 Peter 2.2 says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, the Word that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 that when the Word of God is held fast with an honest and a good heart, that person will bear fruit with patience a hundredfold. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 tells us that when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, we will bear fruit. You see, Hosea 4, 6 says that God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and you see that in America today. How many Christians say, oh, I've trusted in Jesus Christ, right? I've known Him for 20 years. You ask them, how many times have you read the Bible through in your entire life? So many would even say, not even once. And they wonder why they're weak, and they're struggling, and they're falling. It's because they are not taking in the word of grace, which will build you up. Spiritual maturity does not just happen Grace, strengthening grace for the day, does not just strike you like a lightning bolt. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. If you in pride continue throughout your day saying, I do not need God's Word today, you will remain a spiritual infant. God grows by His grace those who are humble to turn First, as we'll see, to the Word of Grace. The Word of Grace. This is the first foundation of grace. Whether you realize it or even want to accept it this morning, this is the first foundation of Grace Chapel. This is what makes a church a church. It's the Word of Grace. It's the Scriptures. This is the book. This is the message. This is the truth that we ought to gather around. This is what we ought to devote ourselves to understanding and obeying together because it is a word of grace that is able to build us up. God's word ought to be central to this gathering. This is what brings us together. This is what bears forth unity. This is what causes us to grow. It is not by, coming, by, by looking a certain way. It is not by coming from a certain background. It is not by agreeing to a certain political opinion. What brings us together as God's people, the foundation of this church, is the Word of God. It bears forth fruit. We don't talk about people's opinions here. We don't talk about experts and their studies. We dive into God's Word. Goodness sakes, we hear enough of man's words throughout the week. We need to hear the word of God. So this is how we're to be a first responder to the gospel for the glory of God. I mean, you focus on what he's saying. You, you turn to the word of God. Be devoted to the word of grace together. Second, be devoted to the throne of grace together. Acts 2.42 says this, 
that the early church not only devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, but I'm skipping ahead a little bit here for the sake of emphasis, they also devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, every Jewish reader would have known exactly what the prayers meant. Every day at the temple in Jerusalem, which is where they were gathering, uh, there were calls to corporate prayer at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m., And in the book of Acts, we see the early church observing these calls to prayer, like in Acts chapter 2, Acts 3, Acts 10. Uh, That's most likely what the phrase, the prayers, refers to here. I do not think that this is teaching that the early church pulled over the liturgical prayers of Judaism and used them in their Christian worship. They might have, but I don't think that's what this is talking about. Christ actually warned against ritualistic worship like that. I think what this means is that the believers in the early church devoted themselves to those regularly scheduled times of corporate prayer, of meeting together to pray. According to Acts 5, verse 12, they would meet in Solomon's portico at the temple. So the early church devoted themselves to corporate prayer. Jesus said in John 14, 13 through 14, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The early church grabbed hold of that promise as the source of God's provisions for all of their needs, and they relentlessly pursued God's divine help in their daily living. They devoted themselves together to prayer. And we, as members here of Grace Chapel, must do so as well. Their foundation must be ours. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all, pray. He encouraged churches to pray together in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Philippians 4.6, Ephesians 6.18, and others. And in Romans 12.12, Paul told the church in Rome, be rejoicing in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be devoted to prayer. We are to devote ourselves to it. This is one of the foundations of this church. You say, well, why? Because we are to grow in a grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we have a throne of grace. I want you to turn next to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 4, the author is teaching how Jesus is the best high priest anyone could ever ask or think of representing us before God the Father. Jesus has, the author of Hebrews says, he's passed through the heavens. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has been tempted as we are in every respect, yet without sin. He is the perfect and only mediator between God and man. He is the man Christ. Jesus, therefore, Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near, listen to this, to the what? Throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a wonderful truth that we as believers often fail to think about. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf, that which was once a throne of judgment has become a throne of grace. And whenever we approach God now on the basis of Christ-pleasing sacrifice, we receive mercy and forgiveness, life and joy, peace, and every good and perfect gift that heaven has to give directly from the hand of God. We don't have to stand far off as believers. I don't care what your past week looked like. Your acceptance before God in heaven 
has nothing to do with your merits and everything to do with the merits of Jesus Christ. Do not let sin keep you from the throne of grace. Let sin drive you to the throne of grace. You are to run to it in your time of need. You don't have to stand far off. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Romans 5.2 says, Through Christ we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, believer, no matter what the last week looked like by faith in Christ, you stand in grace. And you now, right now, have access to the very throne of God and throughout this week and forevermore. So draw near. That's what Hebrews 4 is saying. Draw near. You stand in grace and you have, believer, more grace waiting for you. Is that not what it teaches? It is the throne of grace that you ought to be able to receive grace from, but you must what? Approach it. Psalms 31 verse 19 says this, Oh, how abundant is your grace which you have stirred up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. So draw near to the throne of grace. Devote and commit yourself to the throne of grace. And when you do, you will grow. Just like with the word of grace. You will, as Colossians 4.12 says, become mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So this is the second foundation of grace. And of Grace Chapel. This is what makes a church a church. The throne of grace. Prayer. This is the throne that we ought to gather around. That we ought to devote ourselves to drawing near, to laying our hands upon, and by casting our cares towards. Because it is a throne of grace. This is how we ought to be a first responder to the gospel for the glory of God. Be devoted to the word of grace together. Be devoted to to the throne of grace together. God is not glorified where His word is not honored. God is not glorified where His people do not pray. And finally, be devoted to the fellowship of grace together. Now I left this last one for emphasis. Acts 2.42 says that the early church not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers, they also devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now evangelism is very important in a church, and we'll look at that next week, but for, for the sake of importance, when the early church gathered together, it was for the sake, first and foremost, I want you to see here, of fellowship. Of fellowship. You say, well, what is Fellowship. The word is koinia in the Greek, and, what it, and it means close association, participation, communion, and sharing. In fact, the best definition I think I've ever come across of, of fellowship arises from Philemon 6, where Paul essentially defines fellowship as this, the mutual sharing of faith that produces a greater understanding of everything we have in common in Christ. That's fellowship. That is fellowship, the mutual sharing of faith that produces a greater understanding of everything we have in common in Christ. Fellowship is not fellowship if it's over a meal, right? Sometimes, let's have a fellowship meal. Well, you can have people eating a meal and fellowship doesn't take place. Fellowship only takes place where faith is being exchanged between two believers. Fellowship is not defined by any set of activities. It is defined by what it produces, Fellowship is when you walk away from another believer with a greater understanding of what you have in common in Jesus because their faith worked on you and your faith worked on them. It's pretty awesome. And, that's the, and the greatest expression of fellowship that the early church had 
of their common union in Christ was the breaking of bread. Now that could just mean eating meals together, but I think it's speaking of a specific meal that the early church would break bread over, and that would be the Lord's Supper. The Agape Loves Feast is recorded in Jude 12. This is uh, the phrase that's used elsewhere in Scripture. It's a phrase that we now use to call communion. It was truly a supper. You could call it a potluck with a purpose, where the believers would meet and they would celebrate an entire meal together, one that climaxed with the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup as a picture of their fellowship together in Christ. The early church, we're told, devoted themselves to this. They committed themselves to fulfilling the words Jesus gave just before his crucifixion in John 13, 34 through 35, when he said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The early church devoted themselves to this. Not just to saying, oh, I love you and I have warm feelings. They loved them in deed and in truth. They devoted themselves in love to mutual fellowship that culminated in communion. And we, as members of this church, are too as well. Just as with Scripture and with prayer, their foundation of devoted fellowship must be ours as well. This must be a church of rich and true and deep fellowship. Romans 12.10 says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Well, what does that brotherly love look like? Paul goes on, showing honor to one another as serving the Lord. Or as Galatians 5.13 says, in love serve one another. We as believers are to devote ourselves to loving, committed, mutual fellowship with each other. Why? For our growth and for God's glory. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to uh, see how powerful Christian fellowship is described here. Ephesians 4, 29. In Ephesians 4, Paul is describing the type of lifestyle uh, that we are to put off and put on as believers who in Christ have been created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Paul comes to verse 29 and he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? Listen to it. That it may give grace to those who hear. Did you get that? Paul is saying in that verse that when Christian fellowship is functioning correctly, it can actually be a source of God's strengthening grace in the life of a believer to the same degree as Scripture and prayer itself. I wouldn't believe it except that's exactly what God's Word says. That's powerful. That is why Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Believer, you can literally this morning be a vessel of God's strengthening, empowering grace to someone who needs it today. Right now, this morning, there is someone who is weak, that is struggling. One of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and God has ordained you to be the means to strengthen them. You cannot strengthen them with your mouth shut. You cannot strengthen them as you live your life apart from other believers. You can only strengthen them as you get to know one another and build each other up. 
Believer, you can be used by God this very hour to build another up in their most holy faith and cause them to grow in godliness for God's glory, just as the Bible and prayer builds them up. And by the way, here's that exact same truth from another perspective. Believer, God has strengthening, empowering grace that he desires to give you today through the fellowship of other believers in your local church. God is ready to build you up and grow you for his glory, and he has plans to do it through the relationships that you build with other believers in this church, through the fellowship of grace. And so if you want all the grace and all the strength and comfort and peace and joy and patience and love and everything else that God could possibly give you, then you must not only be in the Bible and in prayer. Believer, you must be in church. You must be devoting yourself to mutually fellowshipping and serving and sharing faith with other saints. And when you do, the Bible says that you will grow. Ephesians 4, 15-16 says this, Speaking the truth in love to one another, we will grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ who makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says that when we as believers devote ourselves to meeting meeting with one another, we stir one another up into love and good works and encourage one another increasingly as we see the day of Christ's return drawing near. The fellowship of grace causes believers to grow. As Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. How much interaction do you have with with any other believers in this church throughout the week? I don't want there to be one person in this church that says, I only see these people on Sunday. And you're not receiving the grace that he desires to give you. We are to exhort one another daily, and all the more, as Hebrews says. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. This is the third and final foundation of grace and of Grace Chapel. This is what makes a church a church. It is the fellowship of grace. This is the fellowship I want you to know. I don't care what your other affiliations are. I don't care what your other memberships are. I don't care that you're in the United States of America. I don't care what political party you're a part of. This is the fellowship. This is the community. These are the relationships we ought to gather around that we ought to devote ourselves to, to loving, to getting to know, to building up, and to serving. This community is because it is the fellowship of grace. Your family It's not a replacement for the church. This is the fellowship of grace. This is. This is how we are to be a first responder to the gospel for the glory of God. Be devoted to the word of grace together. Be devoted to the throne of grace together. Be devoted to the fellowship of grace together. This is what a biblical church looks like. Not only in first century Christianity, but all the way till today and beyond until the return of Christ. This is what makes a church a church. This is what we ought to always be doing, and no matter what we do here in this place. This is what makes a church a church. When a body of believing, baptized individuals commit in love to gathering themselves together in order to build each other up by means of the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace. This is so important. There are a lot of things that churches across America do to manufacture a sense of growth. Amen? They really do. But if a church is to grow with a growth that is from God, it must grow in grace. And that only comes through the Bible, prayer, and godly fellowship. 
We as a church and as members one of another must commit ourselves to responding to the gospel rightly for the glory of God because this is how we show the world that we belong to him. So application I have. How do you put this message into practice? Simple. Join us. That's my application. Join us in this place. We are a church that truly seeks to be a church. And so join us. Come further up and further into your devotion, into our fellowship. Grow in your devotion first, I'd say, to the word of grace. To the word of grace. Come to our teaching classes on Sunday mornings. And then to our morning services after that as we study together the word of grace. Grow with us in our devotion to the word of grace. Second, I'd say, grow in your devotion to the throne of grace. Come to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights as we worship God in prayer before the throne of grace. Grow with us in our devotion to the throne of grace. And then finally, grow in your devotion to the fellowship of grace. There are so many opportunities in this place to be used by God and to enjoy the fellowship of grace in this place. But here are four concrete suggestions for you this morning, okay? First, become a member. Grow in your devotion to the fellowship of grace by joining the fellowship of grace in this place. Believe, be baptized, and be added. Second way you can grow in your devotion to the fellowship of grace. There is a service opportunity form that is available right now in your church mailbox and on the bulletin board in the back. Look that over, fill it out, and let the leadership know where you'd like to get involved in the ministry of the saints here. My goal and my prayer for this church is that every single member would be a minister because that's exactly what every single member is supposed to be. And third, there's a growth group sign-up sheet in the back. Growth groups are a wonderful way to get to know people in the church and establish the type of relationships needed where that mutual sharing of the faith can take place. If you're not involved in a growth group, take a look at those sign-up sheets in the back and sign up for that. And finally, the way that you can join us in the Fellowship of Grace is celebrate communion with us this morning as we're about to do. That's what we're about to do this morning. It's the greatest expression of our fellowship, both with God and with one another. And so join us as we celebrate our fellowship through the breaking of bread. I invite you now this morning to respond to the gospel and to grow with us, to grow with us in our devotion to the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace, because this is how we show the world that we belong to Jesus, to the glory of God, keeping the foundations foundational. This is the word of God today, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. To that end, as the men come forward for communion this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the great privilege it is to be reminded from your word of what is most essential to our lives as individual believers and what is most essential to our lives as a church. Father, help us not to get distracted. Father, Paul mourned that his great fear was that God's people would be led away from a pure devotion to Jesus Christ, would be distracted by the things of the world and the activities of lesser things. Father, I pray that you would help us here at this church to remain laser-focused and that Grace Chapel would be built on these three foundations of grace for the growth of your people, and for the glory of your name. Help us, Father, to remain faithful in this way, that all the world would know that this is a church and that we belong to you. We pray towards this end in Jesus' name. Amen.